I'll start by saying uh, thank you very much for coming out. And let's just say that this year, I think there was three variables, constant pressure, constant pressure. I think many of us over the course of this year have been waiting for pressure to sort of lighten, and it, it hasn't. Uh, number two, uh, changing data, just constantly changing data. So you're not sure what is true or false. And as a leader, you make information based on data. When the data keeps changing, it's really hard to make any sort of long-term planning. And then also isolation. And the difference between solitude and isolation is usually solitude is something that you choose for your well-being. Isolation is something that's chosen for you and it makes you very unhealthy. And especially for pastors being separated from other leaders and also your people, it's really hard to maintain clarity and health uh, in the phase of isolation. And so for me, um, this year, we, uh, we spent a lot of time on with uh, pastors from around the valley. They're, they're really a unified group. About once a week for quite a few months, we were on a Zoom call and everybody was just sharing. Here's what we're learning. Here's what we're doing. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. There was a representative from the governor's office on that call. I think you were on some of those uh, with me as well, right? And, uh, and then I got on some other calls, very small groups. Uh, not to name drop, but it was like Chris Hodges from ARC and Craig Groeschel and um, Jack Graham and Ed Young Jr. And I was on with, one with T.D. Jakes recently and some, some, some large kind of movement leaders, apostolic movement leaders, just sharing in varying ways what they're learning, what they're doing. And so I've kind of been assembling all this into some things that have helped us pivot here at Trinity over the course of the year. I just wanted to share them with you in case they're of any help. Um, and I'm happy to do any Q&A along the way. Um, but, um, but for pastors, I think that uh, the very difficult thing is we are used to running our playbook and not only ha- is the playbook no longer functional, but the game is totally changed. It's just totally, it's like you're playing basketball one day, you wake up the next day and it's a football team and you're trying to get your entire team to change to a brand new game. And so these are some things that I've just picked up this year working with leaders around the country. Number one, run to reality as quickly as possible. When everything hit and we got shut down, when did we get shut down in Arizona? Was that March? It feels like 20 years ago. Remember the 15 days to flatten the curve in March? It feels like we've done that. And uh, I'll never forget that, I mean, it was a Sunday. It was after church and the governor uh, sent out the decree, hey, everything's shut down, including churches. And I remember immediately um, thinking to myself, I I don't have a plan for this. Like you guys, I was planning for Easter. I wasn't planning for nothing. And so to go from Easter to nothing is a, is a big deal. And uh, in addition, what happened at that moment was uh, a little bit of anxiety, if I'm totally honest with you. I, I wasn't sure. Grace would tell you, I grabbed uh, big, uh, huge sticky tabs and I put them all over the wall, went into another room where the kids couldn't see me. And I'm sketching out budget scenarios and scheduling scenarios. And I tried to fix a budget at 50% and at 75% and at 100%. I'm running the numbers. Okay, what do we do with people's job description? How do we pivot if we're going to be closed for a while? And it was just trying to get to reality as quickly as possible. It took about 24 hours. The next morning I called a staff meeting. I said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Here's the budget cuts. Here's everybody's new job. We need to pivot immediately. And I I tried to get over my anxiety as quickly as possible. And I started talking to pastors and a lot of them said, well, we're gonna wait and see what happens. It's like, you're not dealing with reality. The government just shut down your church. You don't wait, something did happen. Like something very major did happen. And also, to, not, to just wait to see what happens is to deny that something significant has already happened. That you are running a small business, it's a church, it's a 501c3, but they just shut your business down. Like every other business leader, I wasn't talking to business leaders in the church and having them say, I'm gonna wait and see what happens. But ministry leaders who run nonprofit businesses, they were saying, we're gonna wait and see what happens. So the hard thing is reality keeps changing, but you've gotta to run to it as quickly as possible because we can only deal with reality. Uh, the other thing is momentum is gained slowly and lost quickly. And for a lot of pastors, churches, and ministries, it took them time to get momentum, and then it's gone. And as you reopen, the assumption of some was, we'll pick up where we left off. It's like you hit pause, and then we'll hit play. It's like, no, no, no. No, you didn't hit pause. You hit rewind. And then when you hit play, you don't start where you were. You, you go back to the beginning. That's where you start. And so the hard part with momentum, it's, it's gained slowly. And those of you that have been in leadership for a while, you know it's, it takes energy um, to get momentum. I had a friend of mine, he, uh, his dad was one of the engineers on the space shuttle some years ago. Uh, and when I was 
planting here, he called me up and he said uh, when they would launch the shuttle into orbit, that they would burn a swimming pool of fuel a second to get it into orbit. But once the space shuttle was in orbit, it got the same gas mileage as a Suburban. And his point was to get something launched takes a lot of fuel and energy. And for a lot of churches, they expended all that church, all that energy and money to get it into orbit. Now they got momentum and then you shut it down. You're no longer in orbit. You've got to relaunch all, all the way back to that money, time, energy, planning. And what that means is the people who think like church planners, they've got a higher probability rate. Those who think like church managers, they're in a real crisis because they're no longer in orbit. They got to figure out how to get into orbit. Um, in addition, fear and faith are both contagious, and we're learning this in our churches. Fear and faith are both contagious, and if you have fear, you can set a culture of fear. One of my great concerns, and I'm not gonna get into elections and masks and all of that, but it literally, most churches this year, they, have, they don't know it, but they have turned the icon, the symbol, the emblem of their church into a mask. It's what's dominating all of their social media. It is their primary messaging. It used to be the cross, and this year it wasn't the cross. The cross was not the primary icon that the church was communicating. And so within that, fear and faith are both contagious. If you allow a spirit of fear to come into your culture, it will be contagious. And the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. So behind fear, there is usually a demonic spirit that's actually at work. And, it, and if fear is dominating your culture, you will have an impossible time gaining momentum. You'll have an impossible time leading. Because uh, the Holy Spirit works through faith, he doesn't work through fear. And, and for those of you that have reopened and you've boldly sort of led with faith, you find that it's contagious as well. And you create either a faith environment or a fear environment. And let me just say this, some people think that they can have a fear environment for a season, and then when everything is an all clear, they'll go back to a faith environment. I'm telling you that you can't undo that kind of environment. Okay? You can't undo it. Because what America turned into this year, America turned into a hospital. Everywhere you go feels like you're in a hospital. And, and, and that kind of environment coming into a church makes it very hard to move forward in faith. Um, and then I would encourage you guys as well, remember the liability of policy. If you write up a bunch of things and then post them in an effort to give people some assurance you need to know that you're legally liable for what you post. Meaning, if you say, we're gonna do X, Y, Z, and you don't do X, Y, and Z, now you're legally liable because you've broken your own policy. This is where the spirit of fear came in and a lot of people started posting these long documents on their website, guaranteeing all the policies and procedures that'll keep you safe. But the problem is, if for some reason you don't effectively execute on all of those, you're legally liable. In the same way, when we have people working in children's ministry, we have policies and procedures. Every church does. Background check, safety, security, protocols. If you don't follow any of those, you're legally liable and your insurance won't cover you. So what a lot of churches don't know that they did this year, they greatly increased their legal liability in an effort to provide safety. They actually made themselves less legally safe. So you've got to think through all of these implications and applications. Um, culture number five is what you teach and what you tolerate. And so if um, a lot of churches right now, they're having a lot of conflict between younger creative staff and older board members, okay? As a lot of these social political issues hit, younger team members are very active on their social media on one side, older board members tend to be on the other side and pastors are struggling to lead in a real conflict and division season. And the, the truth is, if you're tolerating certain things during this season that you wouldn't otherwise tolerate, then what you're doing is you're establishing a new culture. You could teach one thing, but if you tolerate it another, if let's say you could teach, hey, we respect leadership, but if you tolerate people blasting you on social media, right, and, and they're on your staff. Like I had a, I had a call with a, a very large church. He called me, his entire student ministry department has started criticizing him online because of the decisions he's making. And let's just be honest, it's a really hard year to make a decision because it doesn't matter what you do, half the people are gonna hate it, whatever the decision is. And he said, what do I do? I said, you cannot tolerate staff members publicly attacking you because if you allow that, then that will set your culture. So culture is what you teach and tolerate. 
And right now with people working remotely and the team not being together and everything being a little more crazy this year, uh, we tend to tolerate some things that we wouldn't tolerate under normal circumstances. Um, in addition, this is a good season to grade your governance. The churches that are gonna die, and there are high-risk churches just like there are high-risk people. The great exposure right now is governance. And, uh, and governance right now, for the, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Um, we've been open, we're growing, things are going very well. We're very blessed this year. We have a lot of unity. It's actually been a supernatural season for us. But some people will come in and they'll, be, they'll say, well, I, our church is closed or our church is fighting. I don't know why our pastor isn't doing X, Y, or Z. And my answer is usually they may want to, but the governance structure may be restricting them. Just because the pastor's doing something doesn't mean that's what the pastor wants to be doing. If you've got a bad governance structure and you've got a board structure that is governing you, trying to get some sort of agreement. I mean, even earlier this year, if your governance structure is, we have a board, they represent factions in the church, we have to agree unanimously and meet. Then earlier this year, you're like, well, not all the people on the board will meet because some of them don't feel safe. So we can't even have a board meeting. If we represent different factions in the church, the whole country's divided. Now our board is divided. And if the board moves very slowly, and most boards move very slowly, I'll get into this, we're needing to make decisions quickly. By the time the board agrees on what to do, the issue has already changed and the decision's too late. And so governance right now is killing guys. And uh, Tom Lane's book is in the back. You can get a free copy. He architected Gateway. Uh, Churchlawyers.com, I think is the best. I think it's churchlawyers.com. It's The Church Lawyers with David Middlebrook. Um, The ARC churches, the Gateway churches, a lot of the largest churches in America, they're using a similar governance structure. And some people would say, well, that's because they're big. And I would say, actually, it was the governance structure that allowed them to grow. Governance is like a pot for a plant. If the pot's too small, the plant gets root bound, it can't grow. And so the the fatal flaw in governance is the board holds the pastor accountable, but nobody holds the board accountable. That's the fatal flaw in the governance. So if the pastor has a problem with his board, he has no one to appeal to. And what can happen if you get the wrong governance or bad board, your board is supposed to be your offensive line blocking and tackling. But if they go negative or disagree or you get the wrong person on the board or the representative of a faction, they turn around and they turn into a defensive line. Now you're the senior pastor. You're like, I don't have an offensive line and my offensive line is turned around and now they're the one blitzing me. How in the heck do I move the offense under those circumstances? And then the people in the church look at me and say, how come you're not moving the ball? Like you should be in the board meeting. I'm on, I'm getting blitzed. And so, For us, the way we see it, there's an apostolic or an overseeing layer of external godly uh, pastors that oversee um, whatever the local board may be comprised of. But in in my strong opinion, the senior pastor needs to be the chairman of the board. They need to be the resident theologian. They need to be the senior pastor of the staff. And they need to be the legal president of the institution, the organization. And sometimes what people will say is, no, 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 we need to have it all divided so that there's different branches. And I was like, we call that America and it's not going well. (laughs) We have a lot of gridlock, we're wasting a lot of money and there's a lot of division. And so I think there needs to be a, I think this is a great time for cover fire to make some significant changes. If your governance is wrong, this is a good time to set it right. And uh, if you send me uh, an email to uh, hello at realfaith.com, I'll send you sample bylaws, intellectual property agreement, and an employment agreement for pastors. And you've got to have those things buttoned up. Uh, You've got to have those things buttoned up. And if you don't, you're very, very vulnerable. But this is a good time to reset your governance because if it isn't working and you're just waiting for things to go back to normal, it doesn't look like anything's going back to normal anytime soon. So you need to get your governance right. Uh, this year at Trinity, we're, oh, let's just share this in a minute, but we're, we're running 200% over last year. I don't know of any church in America that is on the same percentage of growth trajectory. And people ask, well, what's the secret? Well, the Holy Spirit is gracious. But part of it is we have a structure that allows us to make decisions quickly and lead. I mean, if all we're doing is fighting at the board level and then we're fighting at the staff level, we can't be moving forward. And there's total gridlock right now across the entire landscape of our country. I mean, politically, we're completely locked up. Um, And politically right now, I mean, it looks like, you know, 
Joe Biden's going to be our next president. But whomever gets that mantle, they don't have the authority of the majority of people to actually lead. So we're just going to have continued head-on collisions for four years. And in the church, you're like, we got to do better than that. We got to do better than that. So this is a good time to grade your governance. And this is also a good time to prune your problems. When things are crazy, when budgets are down, when things are unstable, this is a good time. If there was a staff member you were gonna get rid of or a program you were gonna kill or something you were gonna change, this is a great time to do it. You, you've now got, COVID is like the kid brother that gets blamed for everything right now. I literally went to a restaurant the other night. I was like, I was like, a salad. like sorry, we don't have that. There's COVID. I was like, how much COVID does salad have? Like this is, the COVID is the answer for everything, right? I mean, we're trying to get a garage roll-up door to go on that wall. And how long has it been overdue? It's 10 weeks overdue. They say we can't get you because of COVID. I was like, what does a garage door have to do with COVID? But if, I mean, if they can blame garage door 10-week delivery delays on COVID, you can let some people go and kill some dead programs and get rid of some Sunday school classes and rearrange some furniture in your building. And if they complain, just say, I'm sorry, it was COVID. I'm just telling you, <laughs> blame it on COVID. Blame it on COVID. Um, and this one too, number eight, surveys are silly. At the beginning of all of this, a lot of pastors are like, we're gonna survey our people. Okay, we just learned in America, polls aren't the most credible. <laughs> right? Have we not learned this? We've just learned that polls aren't the most credible. And what you find is a lot of people won't take the poll. And some people that do take the poll, they change their mind later. And so if, if, if Moses had pulled the people, the, the Hebrews would still be in the woods. So what, what you don't do, you don't ask your people what they want. You ask God what he wants for your people. And so you've got to get a word from God to lead in this season. Because part of it too is if you're only pulling the people you have, you're not considering the people you could get. Okay, so for me, I mean, I talked to one pastor. He's like, well, I ran a poll and our Moms are scared, and so we're gonna delay our opening, and then we're gonna do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, you didn't pull all the people who would show up if you led, because they're not there yet, okay? I mean, so in the middle of it, we launched Saturday night in the middle of COVID. I've never done Saturday night my whole life. But it was because, you know what? I bet you there's people who would like to go to church on Saturday night. So we opened it, no problem. We couldn't advertise it, but the need was there. Uh, first week was, yeah, hundreds of people. And now it's filling up and we got to go to a second service a few months in. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's like, we couldn't have pulled those people because they weren't here. So you can pull the people you've got or you can lead people and get more people. And a lot of people right now, they've gone into a survival mentality of how do we keep the people we have? You may not, you may not. Some of those saints may never come back. Um, what they're saying is when things hit and we closed down, about a third of the people were loyal to their church online. About a third of the people were sort of church shopping and hopping online. And about a third of Christians roughly did nothing. And that number is sliding more and more and more toward nothing. Okay. Um, and so you can't just assume that everything will come back. Um, number nine, the fast eat the slow. It used to be that the big would eat the small. Now it's the fast eat the slow. It's an economy of change. Right now, the big box retailers, what's happening to them? They're dying. What's happening to the malls? They're dying. We, we, we are looking at a, a massive turnover of wealth. We're, nationally, we're looking at a massive turnover of commercial real estate. Because it used to be big. Get a big box store, you know, get a big organization, get a big campus. Now it's the fast eat the slow. Um, we were talking to uh, the XP over at... Uh, CCV, the biggest church in the valley, great people, love them. And they said, you know, we're not building big rooms, we're building small rooms, we're racking and stacking services. It's not about being big, it's about being fast and it's about having options. That's where everything is going. So the big denominations, the big churches, the big campuses, the big budgets, they're really struggling right now. They're really struggling. But it's the fast, the, the slow. So it becomes an opportunity for new churches, church planners, small to medium-sized churches, there's an opportunity to move more quickly and to make adjustments. And let me say, this is a perfect time to fail. A lot of guys right now are like, I'm afraid to fail. This is a perfect time to fail. Try something new, run experiments. And if it doesn't work, blame it on COVID. I mean, blame it on, <laughs> blame it on the election. Blame, blame it on social media. Blame it on Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, you got, you got all these options. Blame it on somebody. 
Because right now, nobody knows what to do. So try something. And if it doesn't work, try something else. You don't have to get it right the first time. You just need to get it right eventually. So I tell our team, I've been telling them, failure is not um, a problem. It's a necessity. That's the only way to figure something out. Um, pivot leaders versus process leaders. The hard thing for many of us is church becomes a process leadership uh, business. So especially in the Valley, it's summer, we pull everything back. It's Easter, that's our Super Bowl. Uh, after in the fall, that's when the families start to come back. After um, Halloween, that's when the snowbirds start to come back. After Christmas, that's when everybody's back. So we're used to an annual cycle that's a process. So we start this series here, we launch student ministry here, we, we do our big events here, right? And the problem this year was everything went out the window. So if you're in a rhythm and a process, and so what happened with a lot of pastors, they continued in their process and they didn't pivot. A lot of guys are like, well, I always take a month off in the summer. So they took their month off. We always bring in guest teachers, you know, for July. So we did that this year. We always shut down our women's and kids and student ministry during the summer because all the families are gone. This year, none of that was true. Everything changed. So for us, we ramped up our kids' ministry this summer. Why? Moms had kids that couldn't go to school. Everything was closed. Nothing was fun. Moms are going crazy. Kids are driving them nuts. And they're like, we need to, we need to go do something. So Grace ran women's ministry during the summer, which we usually don't do. We ramped up kids' ministry during the summer and grew it 300%. 300%. But again, if you've got a staff where everybody's sort of got their guaranteed job, their guaranteed work week, their ideal schedule, their annual cycle, their guaranteed vacations, you've, in their preaching calendar, in their production calendar, as soon as you get all, because as soon as you get organized, it means that all of a sudden people start treating that like the Bible, it's inerrant and can't be edited. And some of the biggest mistakes I saw with pastors this year, they got the PPP money and they felt that that was actually going to help them. And a lot of guys decided, well, we got money now, we can just run our process leadership, our normal cycle. And I know a lot of guys, they just took extended vacations a lot of pastors sort of took the summer off and uh, they brought in, you know, some other guys to teach on camera. And then the fall hits and it's still not normal and nobody shows up and they don't have momentum and they can't just go back to their old processes and their old playbook. And a lot of those guys now, they're having a crisis. During the summer, they were having a vacation. They got a paid vacation from the federal government and right now they're dealing with reality and it's a crisis. And there's a lot of panic and anxiety. I think it was a LifeWay survey said that uh, 30% of pastors are considering quitting the ministry in the next 18 months. Because if you're a process leader, you're like, it's not working. Maybe, it, and for some of the larger well-established churches, it worked for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And now it, the process doesn't work. So you've got to pivot. Uh, I use the analogy, it's like football. Uh, you know, you've got an offense, you run your playbook, but if you're the quarterback, you come up to the line, you survey the defense, sometimes what do you got to do? You got to call an audible. You're like, that play ain't going to work. That defense is going to, it's going to negate us. If you have a process, not a pivot-driven leadership structure in your church, especially if the staff and the board get to call the plays and the leader doesn't, you will not be able to be on offense. You'll always be on defense. My goal this year was we are going to be on offense, not defense, okay? And I'm gonna call audibles at the line so that our team is exhausted. They'll tell you that. They're exhausted. I'm like, we're doing this construction. We're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. We're changing that. We're adding this. We're doing Saturday. We're doing kids. We're doing women's. It's audible. Your vacation's canceled, you know, um, literally. Audible, 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 because every time I came up to the line, it was a new defense. What are we dealing with this week? Okay, where's giving? Where's attendance? Where's the economy? Where's politics? Where are our people? Who's back? Who's new? What do we got? And so pivot leadership is really that freedom to call an audible. It's, it's kind of the difference between, there's so many good NFL quarterbacks, but it's guys like Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Those are the guys that change the game because they literally will change in the middle of the play. I mean, when I saw it last year, when I saw Patrick Mahomes, he's right-handed throw a pass with his left hand. 
I was like, I've never, I've never seen that. But in the moment, what he's saying is, I will do what needs to be done, okay? And as leaders, it is finding in that kind of how you play. But again, that process leadership, so many churches are so, they're so proud of the fact that here's our schedule, here's our budget. Even setting an annual budget right now is adorable. How many of you, you do that? The budget committee meets in December and then we set the budget for January. And then during the year, the staff teams all know their budget and they get to go through their expenses. Like that's all out the door this year. Literally every week, I'm like a college kid going to the ATM. I put my debit card in, I got 400 bucks. That's what I'm spending this week. I mean, literally, I'm just down to cash flow and just eat what you kill, run what you got. Everything else is out the door. And I'll just tell you this, the churches that are just trying to wait to go back to their process, they're gonna die before it goes back to normal. Um, how about this one? You need to call the shots and take the shots. If you're gonna call the shots, you're gonna take the shots. And a lot of guys don't wanna call the shots, why? They wanna take the shots. Are we gonna open or are we gonna close? Are we gonna distance? We're gonna not distance. We're gonna do mass? We're not gonna do mass. Are we gonna do political issues? We're not gonna do political issues. Are we gonna have social issues? We're not gonna have social issues. All right. What are we gonna do? And the, the truth is this year, the thing that paralyzed a lot of leaders, it doesn't matter what you decide, half the people are going to hate you. It doesn't matter. And so if you're saying, I just don't want to take any shots, then you can't make any decisions. You just can't, it's impossible. So what that requires for the leader is a lot thicker skin and a lot more courage, but then also what it requires is a governance where the board doesn't take everybody's complaint and then come along and bring it to you. So I had somebody come up to me recently and they said, uh, so if I have a complaint, where do I send it? Wherever you want. I mean, like I wherever you want. I was like, we, we don't have a complaint department and we don't have a crazy department. Because as soon as you open those two, they merge into a mega department and they become the largest department in your church. And so for me, I was like, look, this is what we're doing. If you like it, you can be a part of it. If you don't, you can leave. Those are your options. But what I can't have is everybody who disagrees with something, then finding an advocate and then grinding it to a halt and then having it be a conflict because at the end of the day, our church will die if we don't move. Okay, our church will die if we don't move. And small business owners understand this. And you guys need to understand that we also run a small business. It's just a nonprofit. But you gotta just, you, you gotta endure some criticism. You just, if you're gonna call the shots, you gotta take the shots. I had one uh, pastor was on a Zoom call with, very nice guy, he's like, yeah, there's a group in my church that's you know, started attacking me on Facebook. I was like, well, that's adorable. Google me. I mean, you'll get over it, you know, move on. I mean, you know, at some point, if you're going, because Rick Warren told me one time we were driving his truck, he said, do you never want to get criticized again? I was like, that'd be amazing. He said, it's really easy. You don't have anything, don't say anything, and don't do anything. He said, if you don't want to be criticized, don't say anything, don't do anything, and don't have anything. I was like, okay, then I'll be criticized. And as a leader, you just need to understand that. You just need to understand that. You're gonna call the shots, you're gonna take the shots. And then you gotta level up your pain threshold. Uh, leadership is always about next level pain endurance. I've got a buddy of mine, he's one of the US Olympic wrestling coaches uh, in the Greco-Roman side, I think he's the head coach. And uh, he literally says that all the guys are the same pretty much physically, uh, I'm paraphrasing a conversation with them. He said the difference is mental toughness. Certain guys can endure more pain and so those are the guys that win. And it's true emotionally, it's true physically, it's true spiritually, it's true financially. This is a season where a lot of people, leaders are tapping out. Now, some are quitting and what some are doing, they're just phoning it in. They're kind of going through the motions, okay? But at the end of the day, it's increasing the pain threshold. I can endure that much pain. And those who can endure more pain, they're gonna have a better future. And so this is where Paul says like endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's a pain threshold issue. And a lot of pastors, they're good teachers and they're good counselors, but they're not as strong in leadership. And right now is the time where they're going to need to exercise some leadership muscles that will come with some pain, but it requires more leadership than ever. Um, and then ministry is now a two lane highway. There's a few statistics in here. The average church that is now reopened is running 36% in America. So just let that sink in. 
Everybody set their staff, their building, their technology, their budget on 100% of what they were running. They're running 36%, okay? And they have one staff now for every 18 people in the church. So most churches were staffed for every 50, 60 people, but now that attendance is down, they're completely overstaffed. And I heard a lot of guys early on say things like, we're not gonna let anybody go. We're gonna hold our team together. Some churches now, they're going on seven, eight months with a paid furloughed team. So I don't know any business where people get paid to not work for six months. I mean, economically, that's not a viable go forward plan. And then you look at it digitally, they have one person for every 1,273 people online. What does that tell you? They're running their process, they haven't made their pivot. Their whole staff is to serve the people who show up and they're not paying attention to the people who are online, okay? And uh, when I was online with, um, I was online with uh, a little conversation with, and Craig Rochelle was on. And, He's the biggest church in America. I, I think he's the best pastoral leader in America. He's a, he's a wonderful man, great marriage. He's a great guy. And we were all asking him, okay, Greg, what do we do? I mean, he was the first church in America to get to 100,000. So he's, he, he's the best guy we got. Greg literally said, uh, Craig said, uh, I don't know. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. He's like, this doesn't make it. He's like, I, I've never been here. He's like, I don't know what to do. I was like, okay, then we all have a problem because our best guy doesn't know what to do. He said, it defies everything I would have expected. He said, giving is better than I would have expected, but online engagement is diminishing. And Craig said this, and his team created version. He said, uh, and he was the first one to kind of do online digital church. He said, I don't think you can make disciples online. I think they have to be in relationship. I appreciated Craig saying that, he's, he's right. So what happened was churches had a one lane highway come to our building, come to our meetings, come to our event. Everything pivots and we didn't get much headway or notice. We didn't know it was coming. So then you add the digital lane. How many of you, that was really hard, okay? Because it's expensive. It's really expensive if you wanna do it right. Sound, light, video, mic, editors. Like if you wanna do it right, it takes some money up front. And then for a lot of pastors, they're talking to an empty room. Pastors are by nature social creatures. We need people. And all of a sudden you feel like you're doing like a hostage video. You're like, you know, you're in a, you're in a dark room and you're like, hello. I mean, you know, it looks like a beheading jihad video. You're like, this is terrible. Um, and, then, and then what happens was um, online, we didn't, many churches didn't start finding distribution portals and platforms. They're only broadcasting at the one time that their service would normally meet. Uh, so what, what we did is uh, I started running multiple showings. For, uh, for uh, Good Friday and Easter, we ran it every hour on the hour for 24 hours. Uh, I'm like, I'm just gonna throw, I'm gonna try everything. I'm gonna try every hour and see who in the world literally will tune in. We pivoted to a Real Faith Live show because what we found was, uh, as I pulled the analytics, Two thirds of people watch the sermon, they watch online, they watch on a phone. And what a lot of churches were doing, they were still pretending that they were having church. So you watch them, you're like, they're, they're still doing their process leadership. Meaning, here's our you know, opening song and then they have the lighting and the set list and the band comes out and then the announcements and you go, you guys are closed. I know you're closed. The room is empty, you're faking it. Okay, that's not reality. You're pretending like nothing has changed. And if you're watching on your phone, the big lighting cues and the swooping panning shots and all the stuff that the creative department loves, nobody cares because you can't see it on your phone. Nobody cares. So what happened was we were doing church and then we put a camera in and then we assume that the people who are watching at home go to our church. Now the majority of people that are watching at home, they have never been to our church and they will never be to our church. And they don't care about our lighting cues and they don't need our announcements. It's a completely different constituency. So for us, we ripped all that out. We created a show, host, pre-recorded music that you know literally works on the phone because the days of recording the band live and recording the set live, all of that to me, 
is a waste of time, energy, and money uh, because on, people who are watching on the phone, they're not pretending like they're going to church. They're coming for the sermon and whatever other assets you would give them. And I heard people say, well, we gotta include worship. How many people actually like worshiped at home during COVID on their phone? Okay, if you did, you're weird. You're very weird. You're a very weird person, right? Instead, you're observing more than you're participating, okay? And so it's trying to figure out now, there's a two-lane highway and it's online and it's digital. And what I'm telling you is, it's not that we were doing uh, live and now we're doing digital and we'll go back to live. It's going to continue to be a two-lane highway, okay? And that's not going to change. So your money and your staff needs to shift over to online as well. And so what, what you need to know in the Valley, this is the fastest growing city and county in America. It's the hottest real estate market in America, which means that people are watching online are gonna be moving here which means your best marketing and advertising is probably whatever you're putting out technologically and inviting people to join when they arrive. But what we're seeing here as well is that people will be in church a portion of the time and they'll be online the rest of the time. So a, a, a decade ago, the average regular, regular church attender was there um, two out of four Sundays, 50% of the time. Today, the average regular attender is there two out of five Sundays, 40% of the time. What that means is the average regular church attender is there less than half the time, which means unless you have a technological way to connect with them, you won't be connecting with them for weeks on end, even those who would say that they regularly attend your church. And so ministry now, it is a two-lane highway, but most churches have not made the adjustment. Their staff is still real heavy toward live in the room, not live online, not live online. Um, in addition, number 14, provision follows vision. Here's where churches are at financially. And this is helpful. These details are helpful because what they give you, they give you a baseline for health, and then you can look at your budget, your church, and then you could figure out where you're at. It's kind of like when you go into the doctor and they pull your you know, here's your blood pressure, here's your heart rate. You know, they pull some basic analytics and then they put you in a metric to see where you're at. Um, the summary is 8% of churches are up financially this year. 65% of churches are down financially this year. Okay, just think about that. Are most churches cash flush to begin with? Are most ministries just rolling? I mean, I've heard people say, you're in it for the money. Well, then we're horrible at math. Okay, if we're in it for the money. I don't, I don't know anybody who got into ministry for the money. There, there's, there's usually no money in it. And most ministries, you know, they are in a, a very tight cash flow position to begin with. And if 65% are down financially, and, and let's just be honest, there's no guarantee that this is just gonna bounce back. Okay, um, here's 8% uh, of churches giving is up. 27% of churches giving is steady. 34% giving is down 10 to 20%. 22% of churches giving is down 30 to 50%. And 9% of churches giving is down 75% or more. Okay. When I told you in point number one, you gotta run to reality as quick as possible. What you can't do is just set your budget based upon what it was last year. You gotta set your budget based upon what it actually is more recently. So we're doing our annual budget cycle right now. We're looking at, all of our expenses, we're looking at property capital improvements and needs. And uh, most churches have followed the ARC model of Chris Hodges. And uh, his model was you uh, set your budget based upon 90% of what you brought in last year. That was Chris Hodges' model. And his thought was, if you set it on 90% of what you brought in last year, if you have a down year, what happens? You're okay. And if you have a good year, You've got surplus and we can always spend more money. Spending money is not hard. But once you spend it, you can't get it back. And so, you know, smart churches were setting their budget, something like that on a budget model. Um, going forward this year, I would even be more conservative if I were you. And I would look at your actual giving in the most recent months and try to amortize out what that'll look like for next year and set your budget accordingly, okay? And what we're finding is, even once a church opens, their attendance and their giving do not snap back. 
They do not snap back. And this is where some pastors get really discouraged because they were thinking, we'll just, we'll reopen and then the people will come back and the money will come back and we'll pick up where we left off. And like I told you, we didn't hit pause, we hit rewind. When you close, you don't hit pause, you hit rewind. And the longer you're closed, the further back you are. And the longer it takes to get back to where you once were. Um, momentum rose on the oars of visible progress and delivered results. So when we were closed, I told our team, everybody's job just changed. I didn't, I didn't furlough, I didn't remote work. Everybody would tell you, we're calling everybody in the church, everybody's getting a paintbrush, everybody's getting a hammer, we're doing physical work on the property. While we're closed, we're gonna do things that we couldn't otherwise do. So I turned the whole staff into a construction crew. Because what I wanted was when the people come back, I want them to see visible progress. I want them to see that things changed. Right now, the problem in our, our whole country is everywhere you go, nothing seems like it's moving forward and getting better. Okay? I want them when they walk on campus to always see one of two things, something new, something better, something new, something better. Literally every week when you walk on campus, something new, something better. Because if you're a donor, you wanna give and see results. The reason that people are really frustrated now, we pay our taxes and we don't see anything. You're like, I don't see, I don't, I don't see anything changing, okay? Um, and so it's visible progress and delivered results, meaning if you make a promise to your people, you have to deliver on it. And they need to see visible progress. And I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. Number 16, what we're learning is nationally, the longer you down, you're down, the longer it takes to get you up. So as long as you're closed, it takes that many Sundays to come back to something that looks like previous normal attendance, okay? So some of the churches that are saying, well, we're not gonna open up until everything's back to normal and everything's safe. Well, they're gonna be, literally, it's gonna take them a year to get back to where they were before they closed. So the churches that are saying, we're waiting for an optimal time to reopen or to execute our vision or to move forward on our mission, the point is there never is an optimal time. You just gotta pick a time and you gotta go and you gotta push hard. And the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be, okay? How many of you, that's been your experience? As long as you were closed, it's taken you about that long to come back. It's about where you're at. Um, kids are crucial. Churches that opened with restrictions and without kids ministry were running 15%. This included Chris Hodges, one of the biggest churches in America. I was on a Zoom call with Chris. Chris is a great guy. Uh, they reopened with a lot of restrictions and without kids ministry, 15% attendance over the year prior. What does that feel like for an event? All of a sudden your church feels like a funeral. It's empty, it's awkward, it's low energy. If you reopen without kids ministry, you're not reopening, you're killing yourself. Because parents are not, if parents have had their, think about it, if parents have had their kids home all year, no school, no sports, no activities, no fun, and then the parents are like, our kids need to do something. And then they bring them to church and it's awkward and it's quiet. And then the whole time mom is like, guys, you gotta be quiet. They're not coming back. It's just another bad, weird place for their kid not to be a kid. And so for us again this summer, um, not saying we did everything right, but God was gracious. We literally, we ran swimsuit summer. Meaning every Sunday, the kids showed up in their swimsuits. We had sprinklers, water slides, popsicles. We had them outside in fresh air to quote Nacho Libre, getting their wiggles out. So for me, it was, let's just throw, let's just let the kids have fun. Guess what we got? All the families. So what happened for us this summer, when everything was dying, we grew and our church got considerably younger. Because we're your older saints. High risk category at home. What are your families doing? Dying. Mom is dying because all of a sudden she's homeschooling and the kids are home and everything is closed and everything is weird. And how many of you, you have kids in this year, all you kept doing was telling them, sorry, we, we're not gonna do that. You just kept taking, for me, it was like a heart funeral all year, just taking things off the calendar. My son's senior year, it's like, sorry, you can't go to school. Sorry, your baseball season's canceled. 
uh, sorry, you can't do your senior trip. Sorry, your graduation's going to be weird. You know, uh, so everything was canceled. I tell my kids, our vacation is canceled. Your choir concert's canceled. Your basketball season is canceled. It was just the whole year for kids was just cataclysmic. And I think we have really neglected to consider the emotional, psychological toll that it's taking on marriages and families. Alcoholism is up, substance abuse is up, spousal abuse is up. You will see a divorce boom. Uh, kids are having a really hard time. And uh, I was talking to a pastor in another state and uh, their kid logged on for first day of school. It was like some sort of like Zoom call. There was 35 kids on the call, but because of privacy issues, they weren't allowed to see each other's faces. So the 10-year-old kid is expected to sit in front of a computer to look at 35 blank squares for eight hours a day for six months. It's like, if you're a parent, you're like, give my kids something that doesn't feel like hell, okay? And so kids are crucial, kids are essential. And, uh, and for the church, that's a great opportunity. Uh, number 18, rentals are risky. Remember, they were telling church planners, hey, rent a school, rent a theater. How's that working? How many of you were in a rented facility and you, got, you can't even control it? The hard thing with a rented facility is once they close it, you're out. And once they open it, they determine what you can and can't do in the facility. All of a sudden now, the landlord is now literally the senior pastor setting the vision and values and the restrictions on the church. And so this becomes crucial to own your building. Um, and in some states, if you don't own your building, like you will literally never meet. I've got buddies in Washington, California, Oregon right now. They, they're gonna be closed for nine months till the end of the year. And they're saying that it could be six months into next year, that they can't physically meet for 12 to 15 months. Now, if they own a building, there's a possibility, but if you're in a rental, you're, you're dead. Um, couple more. So the re result then is 19. Planting and replanting are looming. The survey that was released is that one in five churches is at risk of dying in the next 18 months. 20% of churches. The mortality rate for churches because of this year is much higher than the mortality rate for people. Far more churches are going to die percentage-wise than people will. Okay. So you think about it, one in, uh, one in 20 churches, so, excuse me, one in five, so 20% of all churches are at risk of dying this year. Think of that for an opportunity for church planters. Okay? And think of that as an opportunity for church replanters. A replanter is one who comes in and says, um, you know, it's like those old hospital shows, you know, time of death, somebody calls it. And then there's an autopsy. Why did it happen? Then there's a funeral. And then we move on with our life. A lot of churches right now, they're still doing CPR. But they're going to be calling time of death sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. Once they call time of death, then they're going to have the funeral. But then there's going to need to be something done with the assets. So the opportunity for planting and replanting, I think, is at an all-time high because the buildings are available. And as you know, once a building is grandfathered in as a church, you don't need to do all the zoning requirements to bring it up to code and speed. That's why we bought this old building because we could move quickly and use it. So if you're a church planner or a replanter and or you're thinking about going multi-site, next year is really a good opportunity for those that have cash. So Ecclesiastes 10, 19, food, makes, food is good for the stomach, wine makes life merry, money is the answer for everything. If you have cash next year, everything's on sale. Campuses are on sale, gear is on sale, property is on sale, everything is on sale, okay? So we've done a lot of capital improvements to this facility this year, but my whole prayer and goal is to have a cash reserve so that as opportunities present themselves, we can, we can execute on them. And if you're in a rented facility, this is a great opportunity to keep your eyes open and to look for a permanent home and the truth is, I don't, think it's, I don't think that's bad. I think it's giving another church an opportunity to have a future. I mean, if they're gonna die, let's, I was just up uh, in Prescott uh, yesterday. Almost all the churches in the downtown core are art galleries and new age studios. It's like, it would have been good if somebody who loved Jesus got that building and kept it going. I think that's a good thing. Um, as things get darker, people go deeper. Uh, number 20, when I was on the call uh, 
with Ed Young Jr. and Chris Hodges and Craig Rochelle and Jack Graham and I think I think Craig Laurie might have been on there. They were all saying that what they're what they're finding is their people want to do books of the Bible, longer sermons, deeper content. They're all finding that. And the point is, as things get darker, people need to go deeper. When things are rolling and life is good and things seem healthy, maybe you need a little insight or encouragement. When everything is kind of overwhelming and very confusing, it takes a lot of teaching to help people navigate what the heck is going on and what is happening and what is a faithful Christian response. And I mean, because it's really easy to grab a hashtag and jump on a bandwagon. It's really hard to figure out what's right and wrong and what God's will is. And so what, what we're seeing is t- churches that are doing deeper teaching are actually growing, okay? Because the need is greater. Uh, think of it like your diet. If you're gonna go for a hike or you're gonna go into some athletic performance, the amount of calories you need to consume is going to go up. What people are going through right now, emotionally and spiritually, it, it's, it's eating a lot of calories. So we gotta feed them more nutrition. Uh, And this is a good opportunity for the Bible teachers. Uh, Number 21, this is my personal, men matter. Um, We're running about 200% over last year in every single area. And uh, the key really is men. Most churches, 60% of church attenders are female, 40% are male. The average church, the the, the average church in America is majority female. Uh, There's between 11 and 13 million more women than men in church in America. So a lot of churches are by women and for women and children. But then crisis hits, if you don't have the men, uh, you don't have the strength of leadership, you don't have the decision-making for the family, and you don't have access to the financial resources that the church is gonna need to serve all those families. And so um, for us, our biggest ministry is men's, and it's been a big value of mine since the beginning. And literally the men have stepped up and they've led through this. But I need to lead the church and then the men need to lead their families. Because right now, every family's got a lot of really hard decisions to make. What do we do with education? Where are we at financially? What do we do with our business? How, how do, you know, do we homeschool now? I mean, families are just thrown into this swirling vortex of complicated decisions. Does mom work? Does mom not work? I mean, everything right now is in really complex times. And so I need the men to lead their families. But if the men will lead their families and then I can lead the men, then we can actually have a healthy church family. But if I don't have the men, um, then the families are in crisis and that means our church family's in crisis. And so a lot of guys would ask now, they're like, well, I don't know where to start. Start with the men. That's where Jesus started. He grabbed a couple of guys, okay? Just start there. You gotta start with the men. And if you can get the men to be courageous and lead, then you can get the, the church family to get healthy and it'll have leadership. Uh, the last couple, we use it here a lot, kingdom down, not culture up, meaning when you set your values in the church, you're either gonna, you're either gonna let the culture set the values or let the kingdom set the values. And to live kingdom down is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to me, it's like, how do we have our church represent the culture of heaven, meaning, there's love here, there's grace here, there's hope here, there's joy here, as opposed to the culture. How many of you right now, when people walk in the door of your church, if you're open, they're bringing the culture of the world with them. They're scared, they're angry, they're frustrated. They're talking about everything and anything other than Jesus in the Bible. Um, They're conflicted, they're divided, they're anxious. And the church needs to be the place that, no, you don't bring that culture in here. We bring this culture down here. People need to walk in and feel like, okay, this feels more like the kingdom of God. There's hope here. There's joy here. There's answers here. There's love here. Um, There's faith here, not fear here. And so as a leader, it really is continually asking, how do we live kingdom down, not culture up? Because if you live culture up, your church will be a brutal place to be. Because right now, what's going on in culture? Just throw out the words that are going on in culture. Distance. Fear, chaos, anger. It's, if you take the fruit of the spirit and do the opposite, that's where we're at. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you do the opposite, that's what's going on. And it's like, do you wanna bring that in? 
No, no, no. But this is where bad governance will bring it in because people will have factions and then they'll have a representative on the board and then the board brings in their issue. And all we do is we take the culture of the world, we bring it into the church and we wonder why it's not a place that people are running to be because it's just like where they're at anyways. Uh, last couple, uh, number 23, you can make excuses or you can make plans. Right now, as a leader, this is an epic time to make excuses. You have an excuse, we have an excuse for everything. And honestly, most of those excuses, true or false, they're valid. They're totally, I mean, they shut us down, we got requirements, there's conflict, the board. I mean, there's innumerable, innumerable ways to make excuses. But at the end of the day, as leaders, God requires that we make plans and we can't just make excuses. And what I'm seeing right now, even in a lot of well-established churches, they're in a decline and death cycle. And when you ask what's happening, they just give you their excuses. Well, this and this and this and this. Okay, that may be all true, but what's the answer? I mean, this is our problem in our country right now. We all know that there's problems, but we're not getting a lot of solutions. And then lastly, um, I was on a call with the pastors here in the Valley and uh, one of the guys, uh, he just kind of threw out a question. He said, Pastor Mark, anything you think you, that the Holy Spirit would have you to say? I just kind of called him in. I wrote a book called Spirit-Filled Jesus and, and the Spirit brought something to mind that I shared then and I'll share with you. Uh, remember in Revelation, like two and three, there's the, there's the letters to the seven churches in what's modern day Turkey. And what God does is he has different instructions for every church. But he has one statement that is consistent that he says to all seven churches and that is, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. And so what I would tell you is, unity doesn't mean that we're all making the same decisions. It means that we're following the same Spirit. And the Spirit of God may tell this person, you do this, and this person, you do that. So like even when the thing hit with, with um, Andy Stanley and John MacArthur, okay? Andy Stanley felt like, you know, the Lord's telling me that we're not going to open this year. And John MacArthur was like, that's not what I heard. I heard we're going to be open and the governor can deal with me, okay? And even on that issue, the whole church split down the middle. A bunch of people saying, I agree with Andy, we should be safe and love our neighbor. And a whole bunch of people agreed with John MacArthur. And that is the Bible needs to be preached and the church needs to be open. And what I would say is, is it possible that they were both listening to what the Holy Spirit said to them because I'm not there, I'm not on their board, I'm not their pastor. God didn't appoint me in authority. If, if God wanted me to have an opinion, he would have put me there in leadership, but he didn't. And so I'm not gonna judge the decisions that they made, uh, but I wanna hear what the Spirit says that we need to be doing, okay? And what this allows is, this is gonna require, I did an interview with um, Pastor Jimmy Evans, who's one of our overseers here with Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris, and he said something really fascinating in the interview. He said, uh, when I decided to open Gateway Church, now Gateway Church is like 35, 40,000, one of the biggest churches in the country, multi-site, very complicated. How many people did it take to open Gateway Church? One person. Okay. Can you imagine if he had an elder board? I mean, they'd be fighting for the rest of their life. They do have an elder board, but they believe in singular headship, plural leadership. This is how the governance of God is established. The father is the singular head, the father, son, and spirit of the plural leadership. This is how the family is established. The husband is the head, the husband and the wife are plural leadership. That's why the Bible says to honor and obey your mother and father, they're plural leaders. In the church, there needs to be singular headship and plural leadership. The problem with a, a governance model where it's board driven, it has plural leadership, but it doesn't have singular headship. The problem with some sort of dictatorial churches, it has singular headship, but no plural leadership. So the pastor cheats on his wife and nobody can do anything because there's, there's no accountability. And so there is this dance between singular headship and plural leadership. But in that call, what, um, and I threw it online, but uh, Jimmy Evans said, well, I get up every morning, I read the Bible, I pray, I spend time with the Lord, I journal, I listen, and I wait for the Lord to lead me and to give me instructions for the church. Okay. And to me, it's like, that makes a lot of sense. I hope our pastors are talking to God and I hope that God is talking to them. 
And if Jesus is the chief shepherd and it is his church, he says, I will build my church. It's not your church, my church, it's his church. Then are we meeting with the chief shepherd to figure out what he wants us to do with his church? And the problem with pastoral leadership right now is if you're pulling your people, you may not be listening to the spirit. If you're fighting with your board, you may not be listening to the spirit. If you're trying to figure out what all the other pastors are doing, you may not be listening to the spirit. If you're, if you're just following what your political party is doing, you may not be listening to the spirit. And so this becomes a time, I think, for a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, silent solitude, prayer, fasting, time that the leader gets with the Lord. And once you get a word from God, faith is then acting on that with courage. And then what you find is other people will follow, okay? Because right now what there is, just there is a complete lack of leadership, okay? Um, in most businesses right now, politically, socially, economically, medically, I mean, you pick any field, there is a lack of leadership and there's a lack of leadership that has courage and confidence to move. But anyone who does that, a lot of other people will tend to follow them and there's momentum behind them. So I think this is a strategic opportunity for the church.